do I know? Okay. All right. Well, just before our speaker, we would like to start with the set aside prayer. God, please enable me to set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. And tonight, our speaker is our one and only Lisa. And I will uh, unmute. There we go. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Lisa, and I am a grateful alcoholic. I'm going to take a big pause and a big deep breath. I've been doing this a lot lately. I've been breathing and inviting in my higher power. Especially when I feel a little bit stressed or my shoulders are up here around my ears. I like to breathe in my higher power strength and then breathe out any garbage that I'm holding on to. And before I talk, this is something that I never would have thought that I would ever, ever do. Um, but I asked my higher power before I speak in a public forum such as this um, to remove self from this talk and to guide my thoughts and to guide my words so that even if only one person hears what they need to hear tonight, that my words touch that person that needs to hear the message. Uh, my job here is to relate my experience, strength, and hope, to tell you um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Um, I came to primetime about eight months ago, so this format is very new to me. Um, I've been in the program for a little while longer than that, and I'll share with you that experience too. Um, so the primetime message for me is a little bit different because when I first came here, one of the things that drew me to primetime uh, was that the people in primetime were speaking the same language that my sponsor has spoken to me for the last eight years. And I was like, oh, wow, these people are speaking my language. Like, they, they really get it. Oftentimes, when I would go to a meeting or if I was asked to speak and I would talk about things that my sponsor had said to me, uh, my favorite of which is, Lisa, your thoughts and feelings are what's wrong with you. Um, usually, women in the room would gasp in horror, be like, oh, <laughs> can't believe he said that to you. It's so rude, but it's so right, and it's so true. <laughs> Because my thoughts and my feelings and my way of thinking were absolutely what was wrong with me for most of my life. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my history. And the reason why I go right back to my childhood to touch on that in the beginning is because if there's anybody in here like me who has um, traumatic incidences from their past, I want them to see that that doesn't have to stand in your way that you don't have to be a victim to the circumstances of life and um, a prisoner of your own mind once you get help and once you are set free from your own thinking. Um, so I don't do this for shock value, but a couple of incidences. Um, at five years of age, uh, I was abducted by a neighborhood pedophile and I was sexually assaulted and molested. Um, a year later, uh, I suffered incest at the hands of my brother. Um, later on in life, uh, when I was in high school, I started to realize that I was different from my friends and they were experimenting with boys 
And when I tried to experiment with boys, it just felt oh so wrong. And, and I was discovering that I was gay. Um, and this was a secret that I couldn't tell. So at a very young age, uh, I'm starting to keep things. I'm starting to tell lies. Uh, I have shame. You know, there's a difference between guilt and shame I heard today. And it was the first time it was put in those words for me. And it really resonated. Um, guilt is feeling bad about something you've done. Shame is feeling bad about yourself. And so I suffered from a lot of shame. Um, and then I found alcohol at 16. And I would say right from the start, I was uh, drinking alcoholically. I was a blackout drinker. Um, I woke up the next day or came to the next day and was in awful shape. It took me days to recover. And I remember saying, I'll never drink again. And it actually was one of those things, you know how in your high school yearbooks, there's these quotes. That was one of my quotes. It was actually put in print. I'll never drink again. Um, and was that true? You know, did I mean it in that moment? Absolutely. I meant it in that moment. Um, but a week later, you know, when I was invited to a party and I had all these feelings that I couldn't deal with and I didn't feel like I fit in and I felt like I was different than anybody else and I was awkward, but I wanted to be liked and I wanted everyone to notice me, uh, liquor gave me that courage and I picked right back up again and I had the same blackouts and the same bad experiences and I ended up doing embarrassing things. Uh, things I would regret, things I was embarrassed about. And that was the cycle. And uh, that went on for about 20 years. That was my drinking history. Um, and I just thought that that was normal, that my drinking was normal. I surrounded myself with people who drank like I drank. Uh, so much so that when I did first come to Alcoholics Anonymous, many of my friends said, you're not an alcoholic, you know, because they drank like me. <laughs> and then they might have to look at themselves too. Um, so, and I had all this, um, these things that I didn't understand when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, that the program and my sponsors have helped me understand over the years that I've been here. So I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 2005. Um, and when I came in, I came in for somebody else. Um, so this highlights the uh, twofold nature of my disease, body and mind. Um, I did not want to stop drinking. I did not yet realize that I could not stop drinking. Um, but I did not want to stop drinking. Somebody else wanted me to stop drinking. So I came in uh, for her. Um, our relationship was falling apart. And I was trying to save a relationship with a partner that I'd been with for six years. And um, I started to go to AA meetings. Uh, I would sit there and I would cry. Uh, <laughs> people would talk about, um, you know, the changes that they were undergoing and how they didn't drink anymore. And it was the first drink that got you drunk. And then they would say a prayer and they would talk about God. And I would sit there and cry. Why was I crying? Because two things were becoming evident to me. You were selling me abstinence and God. <laughs> And I didn't like either of those options. Um, and I didn't think that either of them were uh, going to work for me or be good for me. First of all, because I mentioned uh, growing up gay, um, I had had a very difficult time with my family. I had remained closeted for years. 
And uh, the experience when I came out to my parents, I waited until I was 25 years of age. And then I left the province because it went that well. Um, I, I said to my mother uh, that I was gay and she pulled back from me in horror and said, I wish you had had cancer because at least cancer we could cut out with a knife. You know, she was looking for a cure for the problem that was me. Um, and that was devastating to me. And I purposefully picked this time to tell her because I was leaving the province to go to a job on the East Coast. Um, and we didn't speak for a while. Um, so this is indicative, these things that happen to are indicative of the way I think and the way I carry things. So that incident happened and I would tell that story to everyone I knew, especially when I was drinking. <laughs> You know, and especially in gay bars, because then people could relate to your your story and your misery. I wore things like that, um, like they were a badge of honor somehow. I, I stayed stuck in my self-pity um, and my sadness and my depression. And all of these things affected me greatly um, because I lived a lot up here in my mind. Um, and then I would drink over it. Uh, I also had a lot of trouble with um, just daily activities. Uh, if I walked into um, the lunchroom at work and people were laughing and then they stopped and they looked at me, I assumed that they had been laughing about me. <laughs> and that's why they stopped laughing when I came in. Um, I don't know if anyone can relate to that type of thinking, but for me, that was something that, you know, it's like I was very suspicious of other people. Um, I didn't trust people a lot. I had abandonment issues and I had this severe need to be liked. Um, some people call it people pleasing. My sponsor has pointed out to me over the years, it's lying because you're being dishonest with self and dishonest with other people. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to be liked. I really wanted to fit in my whole life. Um, and that's why I had trouble with relationships. Uh, because I would meet people and we would jump into bed together and I would be like, oh, good. That must mean you're committed to me and you like me and we're going to stay together forever. And it didn't work out that way. And then if my needs weren't being met or you didn't behave the way I wanted you to behave, um, then I would cheat on you. I wouldn't end the relationship like a sane person um, because I had to have one thing going while I got something else set up because that's how insecure I was. And uh, all of these things I had no idea about. So the disease of my mind um, almost was hidden to me. It's like I was so good at lying. I was a master at lying even to myself. So I didn't even know what a good liar, what a good liar I was. I was living this double life and keeping it so uh, secret even from myself. When I first got here and they talked about character defects, I really didn't think I had that many. You know, I thought I was a good person. I gave to charity. Um, I volunteered for things. Um, later, as I went through that four-step inventory, I started to learn about things like motives um, and the things that were going on in my mind. Why did I do things that I, that I did? And usually it was to get something for self, you know, to look good in the eyes of another person. Um, for a number of years, I was a radio broadcaster, so I did a lot of charity events because that got me listeners. You know, you'd go to a charity event, you'd meet a couple hundred people, and then they'd all think you were a great girl, so they'd listen to your show the next day because you were going to talk about the event you were at. 
But for years, I thought, no, no, I'm a good person. I, I, I volunteer and I do things for charity events. But it was in doing this work that I realized that I had that um, sort of self-seeking, self-seeking nature. So um, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had a couple hiccups um, and the hiccups were all me. Um, the disease of self is very um, evident to me now, looking back, that uh, I wanted to do things my way. I came here because I was desperate for help. Um, my relationship was failing and I wanted to save it. But then when I was given suggestions, I always had an answer for those suggestions. I was obstinate. I said, yes, but I didn't want to follow those suggestions. And then what would happen is, you know, my sponsors would just, you know, stop giving me suggestions because they knew I wouldn't follow them. And then I was left to my own devices. Eventually, my relationship uh, ended and uh, we separated and I said, screw this. And I went back out and I drank again. Why? Because Lisa didn't get Lisa's way. So things didn't work out for me. And when you guys talked about promises, I thought that's what you were talking about, that I would get things that I wanted because um, I wasn't really paying attention. So um, I went I went back out uh, for a year and things picked up and it got progressively worse. I had never drank alone and then I started to drink alone. I'd had a near-death experience with myself in a subway train. And um, so then I was isolating and drinking. I couldn't trust myself. Eventually I went back to AA and I stuck for a little while, about a year, and then um, my sponsor and uh, her husband were co-sponsoring me and he um, got brain cancer and passed away. And he had said to me, if you drink again, I'll come back and haunt you. And I knew by this time I was committed to the first part of the step. You know, I'm powerless over alcohol. I now know that after a few years in AA, I finally conceded I'm powerless over alcohol and I can't drink. They didn't say anything about drugs. So I went out for a year and I did drugs. Again, always looking for an easier, softer way. Lisa and Lisa's will, thinking that I have the solution, thinking that I have the answers, and I don't. Um, and during that time, um, I was, you know, I'd been single for a long time. During that time, I dated somebody um, who also had an addictive personality, and it was a very volatile relationship. And I stayed in it for a while simply because I didn't want to be alone. And that taught me something about who I am as a person. It's this disease of my thinking, this disease of my mind that tells me that I'm less than. Um, it is always active. My brain is working overtime to tell me that I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough, and hey, there's a solution for that. And uh, it's always telling me that alcohol or drugs are going to make it better. And I've come to learn that it's kind of like, I don't know if any of you remember that show, Dexter. He was like a forensic blood analyst on a television show. I love that show. And he talked about the dark passenger. For a while there, I thought I was a serial killer that didn't kill people because I could relate to Dexter's dark passenger. I have a dark passenger. That's my mind. That's the disease of my mind. It's this, um, they say in primetime, a uh, fault finding uh, mind. That's me. I get that. The other thing that attracted me when I first got to primetime was the language of pages 60 and 63 and how they read it at every meeting. Because every time I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. Self-centered, self-seeking, self-pitying. I can relate to those things. Um, 
the beautiful thing is that I have had a spiritual awakening. I have had a change um, through doing the 12 steps, through finally surrendering. It was January 1st, 2014, where I called my old sponsor up. He had taken me on as a temporary sponsor when um, my sponsor, Catherine and, and Andy, her husband, were going through uh, cancer uh, and his passing. And uh, she couldn't sponsor me anymore. She was um, very, um, she was grieving and she just couldn't uh, sponsor anyone at the time. So I was looking for a temporary sponsor and my friend Luke said that he would uh, sponsor me until I found someone permanent. But then I went back out for a year and disappeared on him. And I called him January 1st, first thing in the morning and said, this is where I've been. Uh, I've been out, I've been doing things my way and I really need your help um, because I've realized that my thinking leads me to death. My thinking tells me that the only solution to end the pain and suffering of my life, which is mostly caused by my mind, is suicide. And I can't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to die. I just want the pain to stop. I want to have a reason to live. I want to have hope again. And I want to be able to do it without drinking and drugs. So he said that he would sponsor me and he asked me those fateful questions. Are you willing to go to any lengths and are you willing to follow some suggestions? And I said, what kind of suggestions are we talking about? He said, see, there it is, Lisa. <laughs> that's your way. That's your will. That's the way you think. You know, you can't run the show anymore. And I surrendered. On that day, I surrendered. And I said, I'm willing to follow your suggestions. And we got to work right away. I looked at my old big book today and I have dates and within 14 days, we had burned through the first four steps. Um, and I sat down and got to causes and conditions. Now I can look like a hero and say 14 days. Well, let's actually look at it. Uh, it was 2005 when I first came into the program. I had two relapses and it wasn't until 2014 that I actually surrendered. <laughs> so it took me a while to turn my will, my life and my thinking over to the care of a higher power as I understand that higher power. The other block that was in my life was um, a belief in a power greater than myself. I'm like, and I said to my sponsor, I don't know if I believe in a God that doesn't believe in me or a God that believes I'm garbage. And he said, who said that God believes you're garbage? I said, well, my whole upbringing, uh, you know, the religion that my parents taught me, the things that were told to me as a child. Uh, and he said, well, those are other people's beliefs. This is a, a, a belief of your understanding. You know, you get to define a higher power of your choosing. What's that look like? So I got to sit down and think about what does my higher power look like? So this is a great use of my willpower and my mind. Um, and that God of my understanding is something that is loving, that is supportive, that has my best interests at heart. Even when I'm not getting what I want. And that has saved me over the last eight years, because there have been times when I, that thought came back, I want to drink because things aren't working out for me. And then the next thought, because I have the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and a sponsor and meetings and you people is, how's that going to work out for you? Let's look at that. And I go back and I play the tape because I have history. I have experience that shows me uh, it doesn't work out well when you pick up a drink or you use drugs, it always ends badly. It's not going to do anything good for you. So you have other choices today. Um, and I also think, and I've come to believe um, that this power greater than me actually wants what's best for me. Um, when my relationship ended, I was devastated 
and I didn't want to have anything to do with this woman. Um, and she had a child that we had raised together up until that point. And uh, so I didn't see that child anymore either for a little while. Uh, and eventually um, he taught me to pray for her. And so I was praying for her to have everything that at one point I'd wanted for us to have. And uh, she got married shortly after that. And I was free. I, I felt okay. And I never thought that I would feel okay. I thought that I would drink over that. But I realized that it wasn't the right relationship for me because I had a sick idea of what relationships should be. That was a very codependent relationship. Um, and so I've grown since then. And then when I thought about maybe I want to date again, um, I went to my sponsor and he said, let's look at the big book. And I have found all of my answers in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and in the big book. And I turned my will over to a higher power on a daily basis. Why? Because if left to my own devices, things are going to go badly. You know, <laughs> I can be very self-destructive. Like I said, I have that sick, crazy mind that is always talking to me. It tells me people are talking about me. Um, it tells me that things aren't going to work out. I wake up in a state of negativity. I don't know why. I joke and say, that's my factory settings. Like I was programmed wrong <laughs> at birth to think that things are, are always going to be bad. Um, so I have to bring God into that because I need help with this thing. Um, one of my favorite stories is Maya Angelou and Oprah Winfrey. And uh, my, uh, Oprah Winfrey calls Maya Angelou and she tells her about like she didn't get some, I don't know, broadcasting deal. And she's crying in the bathroom and she's at a dinner party at her mansion, uh, putting things in perspective there. And, and Maya Angelou says to her, you stop your crying and you say, thank you, God. And Oprah's like, um, maybe you didn't hear me. I didn't get what I wanted. And Maya Angelou was like, I know you say, thank you, God. And that was a wonderful moment for me because it taught me that maybe I need to start thanking God for the things that I didn't get, the things that I thought that I wanted. Because my mind tells me a million dollars would solve all my problems. My mind tells me that uh, the perfect marriage would solve all my problems. Having a hot body would solve all my problems. <laughs> you know, all these things outside of myself. I'm always looking for something outside of myself. I also have the disease of more. That also comes from this crazy self-talking mind. Um, like, I'm afraid to have guests over because, you know, I can't go into this place alone. <laughs> but I actually don't want you to really know what's going on up here. But the big book has taught me that I need to honestly disclose. I need to let people into my crazy thinking. Because you know what? Maybe you'll relate. Maybe you'll sit here and go, oh, man, she has those thoughts. I have those thoughts. Yes. And you can get help. Um, one of the promises that isn't often read about is on page 28 in the big book. Um, it says in turn, uh, we sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. I was definitely drowning when I came in here, but I was that alcoholic that when you threw me that uh, life preserver and it was attached to rope, I started to look at the quality of rope and go, wait a second, what grade thread is this? Is this strong enough? Is this going to give me a rash? 
maybe I don't know. I don't know if I want it. You know, um, I analyzed everything and I fought everything, even the help that you were trying to give me. I was my own worst enemy. But it says what seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us. Or if you prefer a design for living that really works. That's a promise that has come true for me. A design for living that really works. And it was a flimsy read for me because you were, you were talking of God. You might as well have been talking about Santa Claus because to me, they were both mythical features, <laughs> mythical figures that I was like, nah, I don't know if I'm buying it. Um, but I do today and it's worked. And my sponsor said to me, I don't care if you believe in it, just do it. <laughs> you said that you were willing to follow some suggestions So I had to learn to let go of that obstinate nature. I had to learn to let go of being completely self-absorbed and self-reliant and develop things like trust. The relationship with my sponsor was the first relationship of trust, real trust that I think I'd ever formed with another human being. Um, And I do have a male sponsor, um, but I chose a male sponsor because I'm lesbian. But I do strongly believe in women with women and men with men, uh, because especially when we come in, we're new, we're vulnerable, and uh, relationships can, can be difficult for us. And we want to make sure that we're protected. We don't want to make bad choices, because I know I made a lot of bad choices in the first couple of years of sobriety. Picking up that first drink, again, was one of them. You know, How many times was it said to me, the first drink gets you drunk? I was like trying to quickly get that first one down so I could skip to the second and pretend I didn't take the first drink. Guess what? You know, I have a, a disease that is threefold in nature. It's physical, uh, it's mental, and it's spiritual. And I believe that I had three bottoms. Uh, I had uh, an emotional bottom, which led me here in the first place. The second time around, thank you, five minutes, Julie. Gotcha, girl. Uh, I had a, um, an, uh, a physical bottom. And the last one, was a spiritual bottom. I finally became so bankrupt emotionally when I thought suicide was an option um, that I became broken enough, broken open to be able to let the light in of something greater. And that was the higher power that I found. And I will tell you that at first, my higher power was my sponsor. I believed and trusted in him. And uh, I thought, if this guy can live life on life's terms and his, his life is hard, if he can live life on life's terms, then maybe I can too. Maybe there's hope for me. And then it grew. I, I imaged uh, God in the image of my boxer, Lily, because she was loyal and faithful and loving and a bit of a clown. And my God has a sense of humor. And then that expanded. And now I don't feel that I have to define it to anybody, um, but it's an all-encompassing power that is always there for me. And I am never alone. Um, And the deeper I get into this program and this understanding, the more my relationships uh, blossom, the more people that I bring into my life. I was so alone and so desperate for love that I was pushing people away. And now I'm just, I just give love and love flows freely back to me. Uh, I am so grateful for this program. I'm grateful for all it has to offer, and I'm grateful to be of service. Um, This is definitely a program that saved my life, and it has changed my thinking. In the back of the big book, it talks about the spiritual awakening. I'll just flip to that for a second. 
sorry, my mouth is dry. I, I've been suffering. I had a migraine today and I'm just sort of recuperating. Um, I have had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Um, personality changes, spectacular upheavals, revolutionary changes, and I have developed an overwhelming God consciousness, which means that every single day I bring a higher power into my life. Not because I'm a great saint or spiritual person, because I must in order to not drink again and to be able to better exist in the world because I can't do this alone. I need my higher power and I need you. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be your speaker tonight. Thank you.